what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, September 4th, 2020, episode number 150. 150, Scotty. That's a lot of numbers. No, it's just One, three numbers. Yeah, 150 podcasts. That of, is just nuts. When we just started, started this, it was just a dream. <laughs> Did you ever think we were getting to 150? I didn't think we'd get to 100. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know if we'd get to 20. No, I thought we'd get to like 10 and be like, yeah, why are we doing this? Um, no, I'm kidding. Obviously, we knew that this was going to be something. Uh, dude, I still don't even know what it's going to become. I, we, right now, we're having fun with it. We're going to do a, make a little pivot here in, in the next couple of weeks, which will be fun and see, what, see where that takes us. I don't know, man. Always be trying to add to it and, and change it. But, you know, down to its core, it's always going to be the same thing, right? Telling stories of the awesome sport that we follow and, and what's going on in the world of flat track, right? It's going to be exciting. I like what we're talking about. The Patreon page coming soon. Yeah, I dude, like it. It's happening this weekend. I don't know if you know that. Okay, we, we can right. actually make I, no, the I, announcement I, I mean, in this episode. I, I live in Oklahoma. You're in Florida, and, and sometimes we get lost in transaction or translation. Translation. Yeah. We get lost and. Uh, no, we're good, man. It's actually launching this weekend, and let's talk about it a little bit. So the idea is that we've done this for what almost three years now, right? That's crazy. Is that is that true? Three years, yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this for three years and, you know, like you said in the beginning, it was just, you know, have a little podcast, have a little show, but you know, over time this evolves and you start to look at it like, well, we might even be able to make something of this. You and I have talked about it over the three, over the three years, how many times, hundreds of times, but I think what we've felt the whole time where we started this and all throughout the three years we've been doing it. We're doing it for the fans. So if we're going to do this, we're doing it for the fans. We want it not to just be for the fans, but we want to bring the fans in and have them be a part of what we're building. So I think the next step is to build this Patreon page. Uh, it's a it's a site dedicated to creators, which we are doing on a weekly basis. We're creating content for the Flat Track world, um, and it's supported completely by patrons, your fans, people who's, who like the idea of what you're doing and want to see you continue to do it. Um, so... I'm not saying that sponsors don't do that, but there's obligations and there's things that come with sponsorships that I don't know. I just, I think it would be interesting to kind of see if this, if this works, it'll help evolve our show and maybe uh, who knows where it'll be in a month or two. Well, I, I kind of liked, we talked before we, we started recording this and you were going to kind of give a little bit of insight, but people who become a patron can see behind the scenes stuff. We can actually interact with them on here. And speaking of that, one of our guests here in just a moment, was inspired by a, a comment we made last week about a protest. So we'll yeah. talk to Dale Jones in a minute, but that's just one, for instance, of what could happen if somebody wants you know, wants to answer, ask a question, a technical question this in this case, or a racing question, or what, a, it could be a personal question, who knows, but uh, we're opening that up here real soon, Yeah, uh, where people can get involved and, and find out more of what they want to, you know, what do they want to hear from these riders or mechanics or promoters or, or any of our guests yeah absolutely and i think the first the first step of it would be to open that you know maybe we open it up when we record which is as a live feed and people come in and kind of talk to us maybe we incorporate people into the show right there's a chat that they can talk to us in that live feed um maybe they become part of the show who knows but uh you know we want you to be a part of this evolution as as we grow and decide what you know what off the groove will become it, it may just be a podcast forever and i'm completely fine with that but uh but who knows well it, it'll be it'll be fun to see what happens man and uh either way i've enjoyed the ride so far 
Absolutely. It's just going to get better from here. So uh, I don't have a lot in the news, but I do have some Hollywood nuggets as we go to Springfield, Illinois. You know, what I do love, you want to hear first? You know, I love those Hollywood nuggets. Hit me with the nuggets. All right. So let's let's talk about the short track first. The short track is an AFT national for the AFT singles riders. One of the winningest riders that's ever been there at the Springfield short track is Henry Wiles. Back when it was a grand national, he won six times on the short track and he also won there three times when it was a TT. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, the short track itself is going to be amazing and it's going to be a double header in one day. So it's going to be very action packed. You've got to be ready. I think fitness will be a factor because uh, there'll be two semis. A main event, a short break, and then another main event with you know, two other semis. Actually, it looks like two semifinals, a main event, a short break, two semifinals, and a main event. So it's going to be very action-packed. And all this is mixed in with the Steve Nace All-Star National Flat Track Series. And a little side note on that, it's the George Mack Memorial Short Track. And they're putting up huge money. I know it's got a bunch of zeros. I know it starts with a six. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. I love it. I love it. Uh, more more Hollywood nuggets here. Let's go to the mile. The winningest rider that's active is Brian Smith. He's won the mile at Springfield nine times. Jared Meese now has won four with his two wins last year. Jake Johnson has won two. Brandon Robinson went back-to-back two days in a row. And Jeffrey Carver is the only other active rider to win the Springfield mile. Is that all you have for nuggets this week? I've got one more. Uh-huh. I knew you'd have the trifecta nugget. So let's go with the all-time most wins at the Springfield Mile. Do you know who it might be? You weren't around. Parker? But, yeah, of course. Scotty Parker won the Springfield Mile 14 times. Oh, man. Guess who's a close second? Springer? Nope. uh, Chris Carr. Yes, Chris Carr won there 12 times, and then my hero, Ricky Graham, won there nine times. So Brian Smith and Ricky Graham have nine wins apiece at the Springfield Mile. So it kind of seems like once you figure that track out and get the drafting down, you're going to be up front a lot. So um, it's going to be interesting to see who wins this weekend. Uh, Breyer got his first mile victory last weekend at Indy. Can he do it again at, at Springfield? I mean, we'll see. Brian was on that podium. He wasn't looking like a chump there in uh, in Indy. So, I mean, uh, who knows, man? And he always runs well, I mean, to your point, on the mile in Springfield. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. I mean, <laughs> to say that, that Springfield's going to be exciting is always an understatement because to me it's one of the most you know, impressive races on the circuit that we run every year. But with everything going on, man, and I don't know, I think the vibe in Springfield's going to be extra special this year for some reason. Yeah, I can't wait. It's four days of racing for me. Uh, obviously, we're recording this earlier in the week. I'm doing the races Thursday night, which is just a Steve Nace amateur, AMA amateur races and vintage races. And then, of course, Friday is the AMA all-star race with the AFT singles. Then Saturday and Sunday is the legendary Springfield Mile. So it's going to be four days of work for me. Maybe you might even slide down there in between the two pro motos, right? I'm, I'm going to try to make it happen, dude. I'm, uh, I I would have flown up. Uh, so we were recording this early. I would have flown up on Thursday so because I, I have the Friday Red Bud and and then I'm off okay. Saturday, Sunday in Michigan with nothing to do in a rental car. There so you go. why not hightail it to Springfield? I uh, I shot a couple people a note, try to see what's going on. I may meet up with uh, our buddy Evan Sen, who's going to be out there as well, and hang with him and, right. and watch a little Springfield race. May buy a ticket, sit in the grandstands. Why the hell not, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's awesome. I can't wait to get there and uh, see this awesome race. Absolutely, dude. Okay, before we get into this week's uh, episode, uh you had a question on what was it twitter 
Yeah, I've got a Twitter question from Jim Wills. He actually was very curious about what I mentioned, the protests last week in the Production Twins class. Oh, yeah. So you to get more information on that. You yeah, the... start stirring up a little bit. You know, it, you know, it is what it is. It was a protest, and somebody gave a, a large chunk of change to AFT to protest the 43 bike uh, in the Production Twins class. And the protest went through, and he was legal. But the question was, how does the process happen? Where does that money go? And there's a little, a few more to that. But I think, I think we should call one of our tech officials with AFT and get it straight from the horse's mouth. Who do you want to call? What are you thinking? I'm thinking number 10K in your program, number one in your heart, Dale Jones. Oh, Dale. I love Dale. Uh, good stuff, man. Let's give him a call. Dial him up. Hello. Dale Jones, ladies and gentlemen, number 10K in your program, number one in your heart. That that would be national number ten K. Oh, I forgot I forgot the national part. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? How are you doing, sir? I'm good. And yourself? I am great. Uh, so I just wanted to have you on here because uh, I actually want to have a whole podcast about you, but you know we don't have time right now. But we did want to have you on because you're a tech official for American Flat Track, and we had a Twitter question. Jim Wills sent us a question and wanted to know more about the. Um, what happened in Indianapolis? There was a little bit of a, a kind of a controversy behind the scenes. There was a protest. Can you, w- without throwing any names out there, so a protest came in on James Rispoli. So what happens next? Yeah, well, um, the party that's, that's, that was protesting him, they, they come to us. Obviously, they have to be in the main event with the party that they're protesting. What happens is they get to either Dave McGrath or I, and say, hey, you know, we want to file a protest against so and so. We come back and say, okay, well, you know, what's your what's your protest? And in this case, they felt like the motor was oversized. So we get out the the paperwork and we fill it all out. They sign it. They pay the fee that you know the rule book says that you have to pay. Then we go to the the party that's being protested, and you know. Tell them, hey, you're being protested. We, you know, obviously we still have their bike in in tech. Well, in this case, we had their bike in tech because that was the bike that won the main event. You know, there are times when the bike isn't in tech, so we have to go get them and say, you know, we need your bike up to tech. We need to do what the protests, what the protests that people want us to do, and it goes on from there. So you guys, at that point, tore down Rispoli's engine. And you did a bunch of testing, and everything was legal. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. In his, in this case, it was the bore and a stroke. We checked, we checked the bore and stroke, and it was within the limits. And so, all was good, you know. And it was, it was actually one of the better protests that I've ever been involved in. And I haven't been involved in too many. In the, I've been doing this since '02. Very professional. We went, I went to Rosoli's pit area, and. and the team manager for that team, I, I explained to him what was going on. He goes, yeah, absolutely. And um, he came up and asked me and Dave McGrath, he said, okay, so what do I need to do? And he was very specific, wanting to know what he can and can't do. Um, in other words, you can only have two mechanics working on the machine. And, you know, we have to do it at, at the tech area. He says, you know, I just want to do everything right because I don't want anybody to think that we're cheaters. We're not cheaters. Um, and I understand there's questions and that's cool. Uh, so I just want to be specific and know what I, what I need to do. And he was totally cordial about the whole thing. 
went and got a couple of mechanics. They brought their tools, had it all laid out, had good lighting for them and everything, and they did what we asked them to do, and, and all was well. So after the test, after everything is said and done, and he, he passed the test, or, or you know everything was all good, the money that they put up, whoever did the protest, put up goes to Rispoli's team to help pay to rebuild that motorcycle. Is that correct? Well, it goes to their team. Uh, I, you know, I would imagine they do whatever they want to with it. Um, in this case, yeah, I would imagine it goes to help put it back together because uh, there's gaskets involved. And obviously, if you're taking a bike apart at a racetrack, you know, out in the elements, um, you want to take it back to your shop and take it the rest of the way apart and make sure, you know, you didn't get no dust or dirt or whatever, you know, cause it's at nighttime, you're, mm-hmm. the motors are hot, you're dropping things. I mean, it's going to take a little bit of time to put it back together. These guys are particular about their stuff. So they want to make right. sure that it's right. You know? So, so without telling us the amount, is there a different amount to protest different things or is it a set amount for a protest? Yeah. Uh, well, it's in the rule book. Um, for a, uh, a technical protest, it's a set amount, and I think it's okay. more expensive because of what we just said, you know. Okay, so if, if Rispoli's bike was illegal, where does the money go, and what happens to Rispoli? Well, if it was illegal, then the party that filed the protest will get their money back. And depending on the penalty, you know, and that's all determined by AFT at a later date, you know. Not necessarily at a later date, but you have to you have to evaluate everything obviously if this motor was too big that was premature you know they obviously knew it was way too big so they would in my mind they would get disqualified so in that case Rosoli wins the race he gets disqualified the party that protests they move up in the the finish you know okay yeah so one one more question can a team or say say i'm in the main event can i file a protest as many as many bikes as I want, or is it just one bike, or has that ever happened before where somebody protests multiple people in that main event? The only thing I can remember, typically it's one person protests another person. I remember, and you might remember this way back, it was at Oklahoma City when, uh, um, I don't know if it was a, if you consider it a protest, but Ricky Graham's motor got claimed. Okay. You remember right. that? Yeah, I sure do. And, and then, um, what three or four other people claimed it too? Uh-huh. So then they put all the oh, they put all the names in a hat and pull the name out of the hat, and that's the person that got the motor. Yeah. So typically, something like that. I think what happened is they were trying to get his good motor from miners. That was a long time ago. I mean, that was back when Ricky Graham won all them races. I believe that year. 93 is when he was on a tear. Yeah, and uh, so I think uh, whoever you know. And obviously the word got leaked out that somebody was going to claim his motor. So then they had people standing in line with, well, I'm going to claim it too. And I'm going to claim it too. And then, you know, so (laughs) kind of a, kind of a show really, but uh, it's interesting though. Yep. Sure is. Well, I I appreciate you coming in here. Give us your uh, insight as one of the head tech officials with American flat track. I mentioned the protest last week and it definitely got a lot of people asking us questions. So we we appreciate you stopping by and uh, we'll see you this weekend at Springfield. I'm packing right now. All right. Thanks, Dale. Take care, guys. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better dude in that tech tent. Love me some Dale Jones. And, and you know what's cool is most of the guys in tech 
have been around racing their entire lives and they love this sport just as much as you and I do Carter and so they know they want to do the right thing and I'm glad we called them because we didn't get into specifics about people who filed the protest we didn't get into specifics about the money and that went back and forth but we got we got exactly what happened what the rule was and what could have happened if he if Rispoli was disqualified one more thing about the the protests and stuff like that as we talked before we started recording you only have 30 minutes the the window is only 30 minutes after that checkered flag flies in that main event you have 30 minutes to file that protest all right before we were done with this protest i got one more thing that i want to throw in here since we got the official word from a tech official, uh, I, I figured we uh, we talked to the man himself. I wanted to call James Raspoli, so I did that myself. I I gave James a call, and uh, he had some interesting things to say about the whole deal. You want to hear what he said? Yeah, let's hear it. James the Rocket Raspoli, appreciate you coming on, man. Appreciate the time. I uh, just wanted to see if you have any uh, words about the protest or any words for your competition moving forward for the 2020 season to be the man you gotta beat the man and i'm saying woo, right here i'm the man you're gonna be mine woo. how about that <laughs> I told that's you. hilarious it was interesting dude like when he gets to when he gets to talking man he, he's whew, he's very entertaining i love it absolutely so our guest this week has been on our list for at least three months, and we <laughs> yeah. finally fit him in the schedule. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think uh, he's actually got a real job now, so I think we have to call him at work or something. Let's do it. <laughs> this should be interesting. We haven't done this yet. Let's do it. Dial him up. Good afternoon. Corporate offices, may we help you? Hi, could I have Jackie Mitchell, please? Certainly, just a moment. Thank you. Our locations are in Greensburg, Jackie Mitchell. Jackie Mitchell, you have your own personal assistant that, that's directing your calls. I mean, are you screening your calls? Do you, do you really want to talk to me? Scotty, you know, <laughs> having you call me is like getting a cover on Cycle News or something, I think. So, absolutely. All right. I like it. I like it. I've had you on the list for a long time and it just happened to work out this week. And I know we've got a busy week up. It's, you know, Springfield this weekend and, and stuff like that. But I, I wanted to get you in here. Uh, but I, I want to go way back in history first before we talk about this weekend and the rookie class 79. But I want to know more about Jackie Mitchell. So where were you born? Bedford, Indiana, which is um, southern Indiana. And um, uh, that's where I'm from. Um my family did not have any roots in the motorcycle industry. Uh, my dad didn't ride. In fact, my father uh, was a, uh, a drag racer, uh, car racing. He had an okay. A-gasser. And so yeah. uh, I grew up around drag strips and in speed shops. Yeah. And um, I discovered many bikes at the drag strips because people had pit bikes. Uh-huh. And so I told my father, I want a mini bike. And um, just about that time, I had a cousin, unfortunately, that got in the grease, and uh, his dad made him sell a Z50. So my dad purchased that, and so that's how I got involved in, in the start of uh, motorcycling. So a Z50 was your first motorcycle. When was your first race? 
Well, I was, um, I think, maybe 11, 11 years old. I, I didn't get my Z50 until I was 10. Okay. Um, stepped up to a CT70. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we had a local scrambles track in, in Bedford uh, called the Bedford Boat Club, which was kind of semi-famous back in those days. And um, I went down there one evening and saw they had mini bike races. So I went home and told my father that they were racing and I wanted to do that. So um, that's what started my, my motorcycle racing career on a that's CT70. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So hair scrambles first. When was your first flat track race? Well, actually, that was a scrambles uh, track. It okay. was a PT. So, okay, um, I gotcha. So I was a, a really a, a flat tracker, if you if if you will, from the very beginning. Um, I graduated from the CT70 to a Bonanza Mini Cross, which was wow. a mini bike with eight inch wheels on it. They had a Hodaka 100 motor in it, and um, and so I I raced that and. Um, and so, as you can maybe tell, like with most kids, it, it started to progress and started to snowball. And um, my dad started to ride in the woods, and so we would do that. And anyway, bottom line is we started getting so many motorcycles that the local Honda shop came up for sale, and my father bought it um, along with a, a friend of his. And so we had a, uh, a motorcycle shop called m and Honda in Bedford, Indiana, and mm-hmm. we were a, a dealer for Honda, Hodaka, Boltaco, CZ, um, and believe it or not, we were very successful. Wow, that's awesome. I had no idea. So at what point did your dad step all the way in and, and you guys started racing more and more? I mean, because you, you were you were pretty fast back in the day. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But at what point did your dad get 100% behind you and you guys went racing? Well, um, really... He was behind me from from day one, even with my CT70. We tried everything we could to get this CT70 to go fast. <laughs> and uh, back in those days, you know, we had guys racing mini bikes with McCullough engines on them and all kinds of things. And and um, and this particular track in Bedford had a really long backstretch, and uh, the guys on the on the McCulloughs would would eat me up. And anyway, when I got the Bonanza Mini Cross with a Hodaka motor on it, that leveled the playing field a lot. So uh, that really. Uh, started i guess uh, uh getting us more serious about the sport and uh but my dad was all about it from day one and awesome. uh, and so um i have to give you know big jack mitchell a, a big shout out because uh he was so supportive of of my early days and uh and throughout my my racing career and without him i, I wouldn't uh wouldn't have had the opportunity, nor do I think I would have been nearly as successful in life without him giving me the opportunity to get out there and, and do it and to experience the competition that uh, that kids are able to do in, in, in this sport that we love. That's amazing. I really like that story. So at what point did you start traveling and going to other racetracks other than your local track there in Bedford? We did it pretty, pretty quickly. Um, in those days, we had a lot of... Uh, of of racetracks in southern indiana in particular and we would uh go down and 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 ride um oh a, a track in plainville indiana and patoka and tell city and and um and so we were quickly running all of these tracks as 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 
soon or as often as we could and and then I started progressing into some some other bikes and and um and then really started focusing on the short tracks and half miles and and then we really started traveling uh I would you know I remember one time we hopped in the vehicle and went to Waco Texas to run a half mile wow and um so we would go all over the country and and Scotty you know I come from southern indiana as I mentioned Lawrence County and and you know folks where I'm from they didn't get very very far from home and uh, in fact I have have and had had relatives that they were intimidated by going to Indianapolis you know going to the big city <laughs> and yeah. uh, by the time I was in high school I could get around Los Angeles without a map so wow that obviously that and a buckle by a pop but uh <laughs> but the thing is is that i was able to get out of bedford indiana and see the world and and you know we were quickly going to california a couple times a year running the mini bike nationals at saddleback or at indian dunes and and so i got to travel and do and see a lot of things that a, a normal kid from lawrence county didn't get a chance to to experience and so I, again i'm very grateful to my father for giving me that opportunity that's so cool so you you progressed through the ranks um did you turn pro when you turned 16 like most kids did back then or did you wait a little while no i uh in fact the first race of my professional career was at springfield ohio which they always kind of had the, the the season opener that was famous about how many riders would show up and um, Springfield was two days after my 16th birthday and the AMA was very kind in getting all of my stuff done so I could race Springfield. Um, and, uh, I remember my first race, there was 144 novices there. And, uh, fortunately I won it. Um, wow. I, I won, yeah, I won $40. <laughs> and I didn't know where I was going to spend it all. So, uh, yeah, there was 144 novices. I won 40 bucks, and, and life couldn't have been better, you know? Oh, my gosh. I've got goosebumps because that's so exciting because I, I remember hearing stories before you know, before I got into racing. You know, my, my grandfather raced, my dad raced, and I remember going to Sturgis, and there would be that many riders in each class, and you'd have to win your heat race and they would only take the fastest 12 heat race winners to a main event. So I can't imagine doing that on your very first professional race. So my next question, Jackie, was going to be how hard was the transition? But it doesn't even sound like it was a transition for you at all. It sounds like it was just another race. Well, fortunately, I had been riding um, – uh, you know, I, I rode three or four classes whenever I would go to some place, and I had a – a Bull Taco Astro. Um, I had a 350 at that time. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I was going all around the country racing my Astro. And, and I was a multi-time amateur national champion in, in, in dirt track. And we didn't have the Horizon Award and those kinds of things back in those days. And, mm -hmm. and um, but, you know, you would go to all these races and the AMA um, kept points. And, um, and so I was very fortunate that I had a, a, a very, um, I guess we'll call it successful amateur career. And um, so the transition to being a novice uh, and riding the 360 was uh, very natural to me. Um, the, I guess since we're talking about transitions, it was much more difficult for me going from the 360 to the 750 because I was very small. Um, I, uh, I remember on my 
on my first driver's license when I turned 16. Uh, on my license, it was uh, uh, five feet four inches and 95 pounds, and actually oh, I, wow. think I fudged a little bit <laughs> on the weight. So I was still, you know, I grew a lot when I was a, a junior, senior in high school because I'm I'm six feet now, and um, but uh, but going to the 750 and and being on the small side, um, obviously I wasn't going to manhandle that bike, mm-hmm. so I quickly learned how to ride a Harley um, with a throttle. And um, I think most people that remember me as a racer kind of knew that I was a a cushion guy. I I really hated skinny notches. I I, I didn't like them, and particularly because I I spun the back wheel a lot just because I was kind of light. But but on the cushions where you could go in there – and and really ride the thing with a throttle. That was, I guess, my forte, if you will. And and um, and we were very successful on on cushions and and particularly the Ohio tracks. And and uh, I am in the Ohio Dirt Track Hall of Fame. Uh, um, and I'm very kind of proud of that because, you know, the guys, the peers that I looked up to back in the day were all kind of on that list. And and so it meant a lot to me to be able to get on there as an expert. And, you know, again, it's just one of the small things that, that, uh, that happened that, uh, made me very happy and very proud. And, and, um, and so, you know, again, cushions were my thing. Right on. So how long did it take you to go from novice to junior? I, I know some people like would get their points as fast as possible just to move up to the next class. Did you do that or did you wait a year or how, how did that progression I ran go? A, I ran a full season as a novice. You know, back in those days, you had to have 40 points, so that mm-hmm. didn't uh, take any time. Then, um, when you were a junior and got on the 750s, it took 80 points, and that was a real challenge for um, um, a lot of folks because 80 points was a lot of points. And so, back in back in back in the day, as we call it, there were a mm-hmm. lot of people that never got out of the junior ranks because they just didn't acquire their 80 points. And uh, fortunately, I was able to uh, to do that in, in one season, and then um, um, and then obviously I was I got my white plate and and um, went into uh, 1977 thinking I was gonna I was gonna um, rule the world, you know, like everybody does. Um, and um, I went to uh, excuse me, I went to Houston, rode the Astrodome. And uh, then I, I hadn't mentioned this, but I was road racing at that time too, Scotty. Okay. And um, so, uh, in fact, I was a, a pretty doggone good road racer, I guess. And um, um, the FIM gave Randy Mamola and I waivers to ride Daytona in the lightweight international race. And in those days, you had to be 18 before you could get an FIM license. Mamola and I, neither one, were 18 yet. And so they gave us a waiver. Um, I go down to Daytona and uh, was going really, really well. And unfortunately, my bike seized at the end of the long infield straightaway just as you started to make that left-hander. And, and I, I fell off and shattered my lower left leg, and, and that put me out for the season. So I was done, mm-hmm. and, um, unfortunately. And so um, um, I got to uh, kind of ride the rest of the year out on, on crutches for the majority of it. 
And um, I did ride one race at the very end of 1977. I wasn't supposed to, but uh, my dear friend Earl Hayden um, Mm -hmm. had a doctor in Owensboro, and I grew up with Earl. I mean, racing with Earl, and even Rose used to race powder puff races, and so all of this this uh, Owensboro crew was was they were they were my guys and so um anyway long story but uh Earl had a doctor that uh he uh, made an appointment for me and um I went uh, down to Owensboro and hopped on this doctor's um table and and this guy comes in and and uh, he thinks I'm going to get a uh, uh, get my waiver so I could go back to work at a construction company but I, what I was doing was I was getting my AMA paperwork signed, you know, my doctor's release. Yep. So um, anyway, this guy, um, you know, throws me up on the table, and he grabs my lower left leg and squeezes it. Oh. And 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 you know, uh, honest to goodness, I saw Jesus, and uh, and I did everything that I could to not you know scream. And he says, you know, and 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 anyway, I said, oh yeah, I'm great. This is fine. Everything's good. So this guy signs off on it, and um, I rode a race. I think it was in November. Even they had what they called the race of champions in. I think it was in Pompano Beach, Florida, and I went down there just to ride a uh, just to ride one before the end of the season. And mm-hmm. and uh, of course, I had no business doing it, and uh, my leg was obviously still very tender. But uh, but anyway, we went down and, and cut a few laps, and and so that's my that's my my Earl Hayden going to a quack story. How about that? I, I love it. That's so funny, man. I, I I believe every bit of it. That's so cool. So you became part of that big class, the rookie class of 79, or it sounds like you're almost in there in 78. So are you, are you, that's true. uh, That this is the thing. When we first started the charity, it was a class of 79 and friends. Correct. And Lance Jones and I were the friends, of course, like with Tom Seymour and some other folks. I mean, there was, you know, but, uh, but on the stickers, you know, Lance Jones and I are on there. And, and I guess we were, uh, maybe we would call ourselves honorary members of the uh, class of 79, even though Lance was 78 and I was technically 77, but really 78 was my, what I consider to be my rookie year, just because I was, I was hurt. So, okay. um, I gotcha. Yeah. So that's, that is a little confusing. I've had people ask about that. And, and, uh, so I'm a couple of years older than, than the, the, the rookies of, of 79. And, uh, frankly, I'm a lot better looking, a lot smarter than them too. But anyway, that's, that's another story. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell anybody that you were that much older than these guys. I mean, two years, yeah. but anyway, yeah. what, what came, what brought that to my attention is you had national number 32 from 1979 1980 1981 so i was wondering how you were a rookie but you got your national number so uh, that being said we figured that out so tell me about the the day you made your first grand national main event and you earned your national number uh where was that at and walk me through that day okay let me think about this um it would have been um uh my first main event would have been um louisville downs Okay. And uh, again, cushion track, and um, and I went, always went really well at, at Louisville, and um, and so uh, that was my first um, Grand National Main, and and obviously was a 
was a really special day for me because Louisville at that time uh, was one of the closest nationals to my home. There were a lot of people from, from my area there. Because back in the day, Louisville was a happening. It was the place to be. They sold the place out. It was nuts. And um, there in the Indy Mile were the two closest races to my hometown. And so it was fun to get uh, to get my first, you know, in in the first main event at Louisville at that time. And and it was very, uh, you know, just very very special to kind of get that monkey off your back. Absolutely. So why were you national number 32? Is that just a number that was open or did you have the 32 before you got your national number? No, um, um, actually I was a 66. H was my uh, rookie number. And uh, as a novice, I was 166. And then as a junior, I was 66. And then um, and then 66H as, a, as an expert. So that was the first number that uh, was available uh, that was when Steve Baker, um, who used to be number 32, a road racer, that's when mm-hmm. he went to Europe full time. And so uh, that's how I got that number. And and um, so I was fine with 32, you know, so I I, um, uh, I liked it. And um, and so it, it, it wore well with me. So who who are some of the toughest competition that you raced against? We know the rookie class seventy nine included, you know, Scotty Parker, Wayne Rainey, uh, you know, of course the the other members of the class seventy nine. But uh, were they some of the stuff, stiffest competition, or were there were there other guys that were there already before this big rookie class seventy nine came in? Oh no, I mean the the guys that, uh, uh, I mean just the the competition was so deep back in those days, but I mean, you had, you know, this, you know, Jay Springsteen, you had, uh, I mean, goes on Gary Scott, um, um, Corky Keener. I mean, I can mm-hmm. go on and on and on, uh, Ted Booty. I mean, I don't know. I mean, everybody, it seemed like that, uh, in those days was, um, was a fierce competitor. And, and as you know, in, in, in our sport, um, um, you know, uh, when everything's hitting right, everybody's competitive. Um, you know, part of the problem with our sport is, is that everything is so close that the difference between a front runner and a back marker, you know, might be one or two or three or four horsepower. It doesn't sound like much, but, um, particularly, you know, in my day, I rode XR 750s and we made the most horsepower with those bikes through cams and head work. And if you didn't have the money to be able to take a $1,500 set of, of heads and start grinding on them, and if you screwed them up, throw them over your shoulder and get another set and go at it, uh, you know, you weren't going to be uh, a front runner. And so I was really lucky. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, to Carl Patrick, who is obviously pretty, pretty famous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I rode for Carl uh, back in the day with, uh, with Hank Scott and um and carl you know put some serious horsepower under me and and gave me the ability to uh to be a front runner and um you know the problem that i had um scotty was um we were consistently inconsistent you know there were days when we could run with anybody and then there were days that i couldn't hit my my tail with a two by four and um you know, it was very disheartening when you would, 
as an example, maybe you know pull out to San Jose and and unload and and uh, for whatever reason you just weren't hitting on 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 all cylinders that day and and you just couldn't make it happen and and even though you worked your tail off to get to that point um uh, and you spent the money and you and you put the time and effort into it and and um and you know it the, the sport can be very cruel um i like to say that there's never been a lack of talent in our sport there's been a lack of opportunity and, you know, maybe the greatest racer that's ever been just frankly, you know, might have lived down the street from Kenny Roberts. I don't know. And he didn't have a chance or he didn't have a father that was able to put him on a 750 uh, as an example. You know, there's plenty of guys that went fast on on a short tracker or, um, um, you know, or, or later on maybe on a Rotax or something like that. And they just didn't have the monies to go ride the big motors. Um, you know, I cut out all of my extracurricular, uh, racing just so we could support two 750s and that took yeah. everything that we had. Plus, you know, obviously I had sponsors and had people that helped me and, and, uh, but you know, I had to cut out my short track program. I didn't have a TT bike, uh, cause I focused on, the half miles and the miles, and, and really that's all I could do. So at that point in my life, I was never going to be a grand national champion. Um, I, you know, frankly, looking back on it, I probably didn't have the physique to do it either. I mean, I wasn't, you know, uh, you know, my energy drink was a big red. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, probably didn't, didn't eat right and drink right. Uh, but I was very committed to my craft um, I gave up, I guess I did. I gave up a lot to try to do it, uh, cause I was very focused on my racing. And, uh, to me, it was, um, the most serious thing in my life to the point that when I became an expert and I was able to have a taste of success, you know, I believe success is like a drug. Once you get a taste of it, um, um, you want more. And I wanted to race the big show i wanted to you know at that point it was the the winston pro series we went from camel to winston then i know it went back to camel but i was gone by then i wanted to run the big show i did not want to be a good local pro if i couldn't do it the right way i i i just didn't want to do it and it got to the point where i was miserable i mean it really made me so uh, sad and brokenhearted that, um, you know, I chose to walk away and I, I left the sport early, but I just couldn't do it badly. Um, and frankly, in, you know, I'm going to give Ronnie Jones a shout out here. Uh, you know, Ronnie and, and, uh, and, you know, early on David, you know, they would leave Oklahoma and they'd go to Illinois and live basically out of somebody's shop. And, those guys made that commitment to do that, and frankly, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to to, to pull out of my house, go race, and go back home. Um, I guess I wasn't committed enough to, to to move away and go live at somebody's shop and sleep on a couch and do all that. I, that 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 wasn't me. So, 
you know, as much as I like to say I was committed to it, I didn't want to do that. So, um, uh, anyway, I chose to, to leave the sport. Um, you know, we just couldn't afford to do it the way we needed to, to be competitive week in and week out. And, um, and it wasn't fair to my family. It wasn't fair to, you know, my sisters. My mother was just starting to get sick at that time. Uh, you know, she had needs and needed attention. So I guess the writing was on the wall, and it was just the right time for me to, to get out of the sport. But um, uh, I went to Indiana University then. And and um, uh, anyway, then my mom passed away, and I just frankly wasn't wasn't my heart wasn't in school and so uh, I moved to California and got involved in the motorcycle industry um so that was sort of my exit out of the sport and and that's that's what happened what what year was it then you when you did walk away from the sport and went to California I guess um well I moved to California in 83 uh I was really done racing in 82 I believe so something, I think so. Eighty-two, I think I still had my professional license, and then, and then I, um, I think maybe I only rode once or twice in in, in that year, and and uh, so I my mom passed away in in uh, two days after my twenty-third birthday, wow, and and so uh, that was eighty-three, and um, and I moved to uh, to California. Um, had a dear friend from Bloomington, Indiana, that uh, was living out there as the purchasing agent for uh, Jim O'Neill at at, at O'Neill, mm-hmm. and um, he calls me and tells me that uh, Kirker Exhaust was looking for an Eastern sales manager. So I call up Kirker and and uh, I fly out there and I interview and I got the job. So um, so that was my first. Uh, job in the motorcycle industry and uh, I did that for a little bit and then ended up working with Dick Razick who owned Kirker I, as kind of uh, working with him on special projects and uh, I was with that company for 11 months and a gentleman named Jim Hale who was the general manager of O'Neill decided to um, to leave there and start up a company called Axo Sport America. <laughs> so uh, we made, um, I'm sure people remember Axo. Uh, the Axo yeah. that, that you know today is not the Axo of, of our day, but um, we were the first guys to really bring in mold-injected plastic, uh, you know, terry cloth on the, on the um, jerseys, on, on cuffs and collars, and, and mold-injected gloves, um, we were really big into bringing new technology into the sport. Anyway, I was a founder, one of the founders of, of that company. And, um, and so, you know, in a, in a short amount of time, we became uh, very successful. And so that was a lot of fun. So where I'm, I guess I'm trying to go with this is, is that when I quit racing, I was still very competitive um, and I liked to win. I just kind of, you know, business was my new arena. And so that's where I really focused and, and, um, and I was surrounded by some really dynamic and great people. Jim Hill in particular was a, was a, was a dear friend and, and just one of the most driven 
and most intelligent guys I've ever been around. Uh, Bob Rathkamp, who was also one of the guys, um, he likes to say that we went to, to Jim Hale University. And so I, <laughs> I think a lot of that is true. And, and we're very blessed to have had uh, that opportunity to have, have worked with him. So that, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. So just a little bit ago, you, you mentioned, you know, Carl Patrick and folks that helped you. Um, it's tough to go racing alone, and it usually takes a village of people behind the scenes. Did you have any special people that helped you early on in your racing career? Oh, I did. Um, and thanks for asking, because uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple people. Um, you know, my father, of course, I don't even know how he did it. Um, you know, and and today I can't even imagine, you know, my son, if he wanted to have raced, how my dad even let me do it. Um, uh, but anyway, I'm very thankful that he did and, and found uh, the time and resources to, to be able to have helped me. Um, of course, Carl, but even before Carl, I had a, a gentleman named Kurt Kiefer. And um, I don't know if people really know who Kurt was, but Kurt's father is uh, the gentleman that started Bell Ray. Okay. And, um, and Bell Ray was into uh, making um, lubricants for industries, for the government, uh, f- uh, for the armed forces, for NASA. Um, and Kurt started the motorcycle division of Bell Ray. So that was his baby. And, um, and, and when I was a novice, he, uh, sort of discovered me, I guess. And, and, um, so from that point on, I was, um, I was one of his guys. Um, uh, people I think can remember the, the bell race super team that we had, uh, a number of, of great, uh, racers that was on that. And, and so I was a member of that and, and Kurt really was driven to create something that was um this was unlike anything in in the industry um so he was my biggest fan my biggest advocate and um and together we were going to i think really do some great things uh unfortunately uh Kurt uh uh passed away in a traffic accident in Italy with my really good friend Randy Cleek and um that happened in April of 77, and I remember that because I fell off uh, at Daytona in March, and, uh, and I was invited to go to Europe. They were going to go uh, run the, um, uh, this uh, GP at Imola in Italy, and then they were going to go to England and, and, and uh, run the match races um, that they do there. And back in those days, it was uh, around Easter time, and it was going to be a neat trip, and, and um, uh, of course, I was home with a cast up to my, uh, as high up on my thigh as you could go, and immobile, and, and, uh, and unfortunately, they were in a car accident on the way back to their hotel after the, the races in M1, and um, it was a real tragedy. So, besides those two of the best people I've ever met passing, um, you know, Kurt was 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 the guy that was going to really, I think, help Jackie Mitchell uh, with the resources and the things that we needed. Uh, just a side fact: uh, he had a couple of of sponsors lined up outside of the industry that was going to come in and 
and and also help our team and and it was going to be fabulous but unfortunately uh, he passed too soon and it just wasn't meant to be so kurt was a a gentleman that um uh really believed in me and helped me and um and so I'm so, so appreciative and thankful for for everything that he did and and you know um here I am 30 40 years later and uh and I have a gentleman named Tim Estenson that uh that helps me now with with my racing uh, you know we we run these we'll talk uh invitationals that helps support the charity and and uh and Tim is so supportive of everything that I do um uh, I have a gentleman named Mike Weddington that builds bikes for Charlie Roberts and I out of uh, Pawpaw, Michigan, which is in the Kalamazoo area, and and he is um, just a, an unbelievable um, craftsman, and just Mike is so good at what he does, it's it's unbelievable, and and uh, anyway, Tim gives Mike the resources and the ability to do whatever we need to do, and it's almost like we've just closed the circle because you know I started out with a gentleman like Kurt Kiefer. And now that you know, obviously I'm, I'm I'm racing again, but it's it's gentleman racing, and and uh, Tim Estenson does so much for me personally, besides what he does for the charity. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. But um, um, you know, there's two guys in particular that have been so um, so helpful to me, and and has just really you know has really gotten behind and, and helped me with uh with my motorcycle career that's awesome before we move away from your racing career uh i've got to know what was your favorite national that you ever ran and and was it the one that you finished the best in or was do you have a story about maybe your favorite race as a, as a grand national expert like on, on your xr well i was never on the podium uh close but um and my big chance, I guess, would have been uh, Indy Mile, mm-hmm. and I always went well on the miles. And um, um, I know I was running second behind Garth Brow, and I was trying to save my tire. Back in those days, our our tires were not nearly as good as they are today. Right. And so we really had to work hard on tire management. And so I know I was running second behind Garth, and trying to save my tire. And, uh, and then I lost my brakes and, oh. um, um, and, you know, we just, I just couldn't run the pace that uh, I needed to without my rear brake. And, and, um, so, um, I let one get away from me there. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I had a few of those, I mean, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, um, mm-hmm. you know, I always loved, uh, Louisville Downs, uh, always loved Indy Mile, Really, any mile I, I really, I really um, enjoyed, and there wasn't really, I don't think, any real track that I, I, I loved more than any. Although, out of all of the miles, I probably liked Indy as well or better than than all of them, and uh, always went well there. And and um, again, I, um, you know. I, I don't know if you've got time for this, but you just made me think of something that, uh, quick story. Um, Go for it. We were um, running a track in, right outside of Pittsburgh. I think it was called the Meadowlands. It was a, a, a horse track. And, and um, so uh, I'm running uh, a semi, and um, um, 
I'm in second place behind Gary Scott. And, um, and, and, you know, it was a, it was a skinny blue groove, uh, horse track day race, everything I hated, but it was what it was. And so I'm running second behind Gary and, um, the last lap, last corner of the semi, I was able to get around him on the notch. Uh, I didn't get into him. It was a clean pass. And, and so uh, you had to win your semi to be able to transfer to the national. So I, uh, I did that and rode the, the main event in the national. I don't remember what I finished. Obviously, I wasn't close to the front. But, but I did make the show. So we go out to San Jose the next weekend and for the mile. And so we're staying at, uh, at the hotel that everybody used to. And we're all out at the pool area on, on the Saturday evening before the national on Sunday. And, and Dick O'Brien is sitting at a table. Um, and I think um, Bill Werner was with him and, and Steve Stores and I don't know. If I, anyway, I, there was you know all the factory guys were Harley guys were at this table and and OB motions me over. So I go over to the table and Dick Dick O'Brien liked me. I don't know why, but he just did. And so I I had beat Gary the week before and OB awarded me a Harley parts deal because, because of my performance uh, the week before of knocking Gary Scott out of the national, um, uh, God's truth. And, uh, and, and, you know, obviously he was going to do it anyway, but it was, it was a really neat thing. And I remember it like it was yesterday, but he, anyway, I'm summoned over to the table and Dick, Dick, you know, tells me, you know, you did a great job. And, and again, I had Carl Patrick motors that year and I was you know making all the nationals and doing really well. And, um, and so I got a, I got a factory parts deal and, and that was like, you know, I don't know, I guess to me, that was like winning a grand national and, and, <laughs> um, and it sure helped. I can tell you that, but, uh, mm-hmm. but he was very kind. And, uh, and so, you know, it's just crazy how life works, you know, and, um, um, but back in the day, I'm telling you, it was very competitive. It was really, really hard. Uh, I know today the guys go fast and, and, uh, but it was deep and, um, the fields were deep and, uh, and, you know, Scotty, I was just at Indy, you know, uh, for the Saturday race mm-hmm. and, you know, we were running faster lap times than the guys are today. So I don't know how that happens because the guys got better tires today. They got better suspension. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's the truth. So, I mean, you can say all you want about the old guys, but, but, uh, I'm not really talking about myself, but I'm telling you, those guys knew how to get around a racetrack. Yeah. You know, I think because there were so many riders and you guys pushed each other so hard, you pushed each other to the limit. Right now, the, the, the top of the, of the level that we have, there's only a few guys, I think, that are pushing each other. You know, you know I'm not taking anything away from the, the guys that are racing right now. Jared Meese, Briar Bauman are two of the best. But 
back then it was like all 18 in the main event could push each other and go faster i don't know it, it you know the times don't lie and that's that's for sure and technology is supposed to be better today so i'm right there with you um not taking away from anything about the, the guys that are racing today um no, my, before my hats offered the, are off to them i, I want to give those guys a shout out because you know they're athletes uh mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, I tried to take care of myself back in the day and, and, you know, I ran cross country, I wrestled, I did things to try to stay in shape for my racing. But these guys today are, you know, they're conscientious of their diet. They're conscientious Mm -hmm. of training and cycling and, and, and cross training and doing all the things that they're doing. And they are true athletes. And, and there's no question that these guys are in better shape than we were. Uh, but people are smarter today. You know, it's just a different world today. And, and I'd like to think we're comparing apples to apples, but we're not. They're just, everything in that aspect is so much um, better today than, than back in my day, for sure. Yep, absolutely. Before we before we kind of close up shop here, I got to talk about the rookie class of '79 uh, and friends, like you like to say. Um, what what all do you do right now to help the charity? Are you just a a spokesperson for them, or do you spend time with them, or what is your involvement right now? Well, um, of course, we've got Charlie Roberts, who is you know he steers the ship and does a great job. I mean, this thing couldn't work without the dedication, the effort that Charlie um, gives. We have an executive board. Um, I, I can just tell you who it is real quick. Tommy Duma, Tom Seymour, Tim Essenson, Ronnie Jones. Um, new member is Brad Baker. We wanted to bring someone in that was kind of contemporary, that that has good rapport with the racers, that mm-hmm. has been in it recently enough, that that he has a good feel for what's going on. Um, and of course, Charlie, that's our executive board. So we kind of help steer the charity from an administrative point of view, making sure that we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's and making sure that we do the things that we need to do correctly, uh, being a, a registered nonprofit. Um, and of course, you know, there's oversight involved and, you know, we've got two accounting companies that, uh, that make sure that everything is on the up and up and, and we're really, really fortunate to have those people because everyone I mentioned are successful. I mean, they're successful business people. They were successful racers. Um, they're just folks that just can bring a lot to the table and of course bringing brad on board uh brought another aspect of it being able to uh to maybe be able to uh communicate a little better with the writers and and to get their support which we which we drastically need because we really make our monies basically selling memorabilia and doing things like that um you know we've got some some great uh, sponsors and, and, and people that, uh, that give, um, really from their heart. And, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention a couple of three or four here and, and, and hopefully I, I don't forget some people that I should have, but, you know, Tim Essenson, he's off the charts. He's never said no to anything we've ever asked for. Um, another gentleman, Terry Vance, who's one of my heroes. Terry does so much. Uh, he has given so much money 
to people that have gotten um, terribly hurt that um, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, Terry is is just a, a great man. Steve Dorenzi of of SDI has always been a, a big supporter of us. Uh, Jerry Stinchfield from Roof Systems, uh, you know, Mike Turner from Cornerstone Masonry. He he's been a big supporter. Uh, Chris Carter at Motion Pro and Jim Farr of uh, Jim of uh, Far Transport and John Dragoo and I mean the list goes on and on and on and then we've got you know corporate sponsors that help us like Chris Killen at Bell Helmets and and um, you know I didn't mention Tommy Duma at uh, Tom Duma Fine Jewelers you know he he spends money every year to help support the charity and Dunlop tires and mechanics wear and Alpine stars. And I mean, the list goes on and on and without their benevolence, you know, we couldn't do what we do. And, and we have a, a separate fund. Uh, so the van can attend all of the events and doesn't come out of the general fund. And so, you know, Basically, 100% of the monies that are donated go directly back to the riders because we've got gentlemen, like I just mentioned, that helps support the charity on the expense side of it. So what our fans and and, uh, what people spend online at Rookie79.com, those monies go 100% to the riders. And over the last 10 years, we've uh, distributed, I think it's right at $2.2 million worth of benevolence. And so, you know, it's very, Scotty, it's really rewarding. I mean, I have to tell you that it's it's been so neat to be able to be back involved in the sport and to be a part of this. But I'm going to tell you, it's very sad, too, because we get involved, particularly with the executive board, you know, we make some decisions and and, and um, approve some distributions to people that that are are terribly hurt mm-hmm. uh, and are going to be affected for the rest of their lives. And 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 you know, our job isn't to really pay for their rehabilitation or, 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 or their, their medical expenses, if you will. We do get involved a lot in the rehabilitation part of it, but we try to help where the insurance companies don't. Uh, I'll give you an example. When someone gets terribly hurt, uh, being able to bring family members in and put them up in a hotel close to the hospital to where they can stay with their loved ones. Um, you know, there isn't any insurance companies that take care of that. And we right. have put people up, you know, months at a time. Um, and, you know, these things happen at the worst of times. They happen when when people don't have the monies, um, you know, or they don't have enough insurance. Um, you know, we try to come in and be a support system for these folks when life is really dark, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too, um, um, I don't know, I mean, Pollyannish about it, but I'm telling you, you know, their lives have been turned upside down. And if we can help in any way to make it a little more palatable, then that's what we try to do. And, um, and so I think, you know, in that aspect, um, 
it's it's been a great thing for uh, those in need. You know, when we started this thing out, we thought we would just do a, a golf tournament mm-hmm. and raise some monies and kind of distribute it out that way. And and uh, and then it morphed into what it's kind of become, which is uh, uh, you know uh, something that we never dreamed it would be. So again, through the generosity and and the grace of lots and lots of people that have heartfelt uh, emotions about helping those in need, um, we've been able to 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 help and to create this vehicle that's been able to distribute these monies um, to those that that frankly really need it, and and in a lot of ways wouldn't have been able to have done it without our help and I would be remiss if I didn't say that you know AFT has been a great supporter of us Michael Locke has been a great supporter of the charity and so we've been very blessed uh, you know we're the official charity of American Flat Track and and so they've gotten behind us also and and, uh, and helped us um, just try to be a, a better functioning organization. So, you know, they've been very kind. And again, it's it it takes a village, as they say, to make this thing work. And you know, I haven't mentioned you know the Verna Roberts and the Tammy Richmonds and the Perry Deeks and the Allie Dixons and and even our kids, you know, that um, mm-hmm. are 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 doing fifty fifty raffles and. And, and trying to to help in any way that they can, and it's it's been uh, you know it's been a neat deal. It really has. But uh, but there are times I'll tell you, my friend, it's 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 very sad and and kind of can take a little of the joy out of out of this sport that we love. But you know, I'm glad that we're there. I'm glad that we're able to help. And and again, Charlie does such a good job in handling the applications and, and, and making sure that we get the checks out to people in a timely fashion. And, and, and Charlie just does a wonderful job. So people, uh, I know love to kid and tease about Charlie Roberts, but, uh, but honestly, uh, people are, are, are very lucky to have him in their corner because, um, he's a bulldog and he does a great job. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm definitely glad you're a big part of that charity. And I think the charity does wonders for people to get hurt. And like you said, more importantly, like their families to to be close to the their hurt, you know, rider uh, from Flat Track. What I like, too, is you don't only help out people in AFT, but you help out vintage riders and amateur riders, too. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that. But, you know, it is it is the people who who donate and who buy stuff that you guys raffle off that that keeps the uh, charity going. So uh, if anybody can can do so, uh, it's definitely appreciated. Uh, before we have our final few questions, I want to talk about your racing now, because it seems like you're just as fast now as you ever were. And and the, the one thing I got from you that I watch you on your Boltaco is you are so smooth. So do you ride a lot or you just show up and race these Astro uh, Cup uh, races? And, and how are you so smooth? Well, thank you. That's a nice compliment. I, um, you know, I try hard to be smooth. Uh, I try hard not to, to go out there and hurt myself or, or bend up any equipment and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I know you were at weed sport last year when I did bail off and, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and, you know, I 
just got in there too hard and I, I, I got up into the air fence and I thought I was going to save it. And I'll tell you something about an air fence. If you <laughs> touch the apron of one of those, it's like a fly trap. It just mm-hmm. stops you. And so, um, anyway, I, uh, I high sided at weed sport and you know, my wrist still hurts over that deal. So, um, I tape it up and, but, uh, to answer your question, I do not ride. Uh, the only time I ride is when I race and, um, I, I rode, uh, Volusia, uh, for the opener in July and I hadn't been on a bike since Springfield. So, um, I'll tell you, it's getting a little harder to get back up to speed quickly at Volusia. We had four laps of practice, a four-lap heat race, and a six-lap main event. So you didn't really have much time to kind of get uh, the cobwebs out. Um, <laughs> but uh, but for some reason, it comes back pretty quickly. I'd love to be able to go practice. I think that would be fun, but, you know, I, I'm busy at work, and when I'm not at work, I, I've got a, a family that uh, that, you know, needs my time, and I've got – seven acres that I take care of. And, and so I'm always busy on my one day off. And, and so, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't ride, but I think I'm going to work on that a little bit. I think I would like to get something that I can at least go out and just, just, you know, cow trail on or something just to work on, on, on throttle response and, and balance. And that would be fun. But, um, um, you know, I, race today because it benefits the charity. Um, I was away from it for 32 years and was just fine being away from it for 32 years. And then somebody had the great idea to to do one of these uh, astro invitationals and it was going to benefit the the charity. And so I said, sure, I'm I'm in. And and it came back really quickly. But, um, um, But I get a lot of satisfaction out of it, Scotty, because it's one thing that I do that kind of makes you feel alive. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're behind a desk uh, all the time and and uh, and in business, uh, life can get a little numbing. And uh, <laughs> and this is one thing that I can do that uh, that does sort of make you, as I said, feel alive again. And and it's it's rewarding. Um, again, Mike Weddington puts me on a really, really fast Astro. So that probably makes up for, for some of my lack of talent. And, um, and, and again, my main goal out there is to have fun, not to get hurt, uh, nor hurt somebody. So, uh, I try to be conscious of that. And, and, you know, the main thing is I'm not trying to relive my glory days. I'm out there having fun and uh, and again, trying to do something that's going to uh, to help the charity. Well, I, I love it. I love watching you race. I I, I think uh, you got a good shot at winning uh, this Friday night the Springfield Short Track. Um, do you think you can pull it off? Well, I really like Springfield. I love the dirt there. Uh, as you know, it's a it's a it's a tight little bull ring, mm-hmm. and you got to get a good start. Um, I'm going to probably be riding a motorcycle that uh, I've, uh, I bought an Astro three years ago. And uh, it's just a piss-and-port Astro. It's all I need for the Springfield Short Track. Mike Weddington's got it put together, again, with the grace of Tim Essenson helping me. We've got this thing put together. So I'm going to probably try to ride that bike. 
Okay. And um, and so you know, I hope we get more than one practice session, and because uh, <laughs> it's going to be a, a brand new mount. But I want to mention something: the bike I rode at Volusia was a brand new motorcycle. Uh, it's a Tim Essenson bike, and the first time that it was ever on a racetrack was the four laps in practice. So to be able to take it from literally, uh, it was just warmed up in Mike's uh, driveway, uh, to take it from never being on the racetrack to winning the main event with it, I says uh, it says a lot about Mike uh, Weddington's ability and because uh, that's nuts. I mean, really, uh, these <laughs> these bull tacos are very fickle mm-hmm. and they're very temperamental. And I think you saw maybe I got really lousy starts is because we were trying to do so much with this bike uh, at Volusia that um, the pilot was off. So the thing, I could barely get it off the line. But once I got going and got it cleaned out, the thing went crazy it was super fast so um anyway i'm looking forward to springfield you got to get a good start if you're not on the front row uh i think you're sunk so um you know frankly i'm kind of looking forward to um uh we're going to we're going to run our our astros also let's see where are we going to go we're going to go to um uh, atlanta atlanta right yeah we're going to run atlanta and i go really good there so uh, we're going to run the double header there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to run Wayne Rainey's um, uh, Moto America dirt track inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in October. Okay. Uh, we're going to go down and ride uh, Daytona. I'm not sure what track we're going to ride, but we're going to ride uh, at Daytona for the season ender. And there might cool. be one more in there that I'm missing, but uh, but we got a couple of tracks that I'm really looking forward to, and if I can just get through Springfield with my head, I'll be in good shape. And, and I've got to say this: I think you're being really modest about how it was the all the motorcycle Volusia. I mean, for you know somebody has to sit on that thing, somebody has to twist the throttle, and you were flying down there too. So I, I just want to throw that out there. But when we started this call, some other lady answered the phone. So I've got to know, what do you do for a real job now that you're, uh, you know, what do you do to make a living? Well, I have been in the automotive industry um, running car dealerships for the last 30 years. When I left California, um, I guess, you know, try to be short-winded here, I, I left AXO because uh, we were expecting our first child. Um, really didn't want to raise my kids in California. Nothing wrong with California. I don't want to get any California haters. But uh-huh. particularly my my ex-wife uh, really wanted to be closer to home, which was in Bloomington, Indiana. Her father was in the car business. Um, very, very successful um, car dealer. And so I took a fifty, sixty thousand dollar pay cut to go into the car business because he was very concerned about nepotism, and he wanted me. If I was going to be successful in the car business, he wanted me to earn it, to learn it, and so obviously that was kind of like rocket fuel. So I tried to be a sponge and to be uh, the best learner and, and car guy that I could, and so. Um, what I've done uh, in the car industry is that 
I basically run groups of stores for absentee dealers, you know, guys that are on their jets or on their yachts. And so I act as, uh, as an executive manager, which basically means I can sign and do everything for the dealer with the manufacturers. And, uh, and so I've, I've been very successful through the years running car stores. Over the last few years, I've kind of changed it up a little bit. I'm still in the car business. Um, my wife, Rebecca, her father is a, a car dealer, and, and we've got four stores. But I've kind of reeled it back because my daughter, Elizabeth, who a lot of you know through the races, um, is a junior in high school, and I really wanted to raise her in Greensburg, Indiana, where we live. Uh, it's a great place. Uh, school system is good here. It's safe. It's just a great place for her to be from if uh, she chooses not to, to live here, which I don't probably expect her to. But um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to raise her here, so I kind of changed what uh, what I normally do, which equates to I make a lot less money now than I used to, but I'm able to go to her sporting events and be a part of her life through this and she keeps me young and 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 frankly I don't have to run as hard as I did 30 years ago although um there's never enough money uh just like time but um mm-hmm. anyway so Scotty that's what I've done and uh the car industry is um is uh it's a it's a very very competitive industry so I'm in the right industry because you know again I'm still a competitor at heart um and it's kind of like, I guess, being in the restaurant or the bar business. You know, they always say if you're going to be successful in those businesses, you got to be around. Mm-hmm. So I am around. You know, I'm generally in these places six days a week. Um, and uh, and so that's what kind of uh, makes, makes me tick. And uh, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's a very, very tough industry, but it's very rewarding when these places uh, run well. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So now we're at uh, part of the episodes for Graham's question. And Graham wanted me to start out by saying she loves Jackie Mitchell. So I had to get that out there. And she says you have a beautiful family. But what she wanted to know, and I think we've kind of covered it a little bit, is uh, did you just completely the sport completely and come back? Or have you always been involved in racing? Well, um by the way, I love your grandma. She's the best. And, uh, and so, uh, likewise, I, I was out of it. I, you know, when I left racing, uh, dirt track wise, I, I, you know, it wasn't like, um, I didn't like the sport anymore. I just had a hard time watching it. And, um, uh, so I really didn't go to, uh, to, to races, I, um, in fact, when I lived in California, um, you know, I used to go to Ascot, but I didn't go to the motorcycle races. I'd go to Ascot when Steve Kinzer came to town cause he stayed mm-hmm. with me for the world outlaw <laughs> sprint car races. And so That's I'd go cool. to, I'd go to uh, Ascot with Steve and, or we go to Santa Maria or we go to places and, and, uh, but I, I didn't go, I didn't go cause it was just too hard for me to watch it. And, um, Again, Scotty, I can't tell you how much my racing meant to me, but at the same time, I can't tell you how much it broke my heart when I didn't do it well. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, it was difficult. And um, and then when I got in the car business, um, you know, you just keep your nose down to the grindstone. And, and I didn't have time for hobbies. And, uh, and so it wasn't as if um, I was missing um, something that was that important to me. But now that I'm back involved in it, um, I think I'm a, I'm kind of a student of the sport again, and uh, I enjoy I enjoy it. I I really enjoy watching this young talent come up. Um, you know, I'm kind of uh, uh, around Dallas Daniels a little bit just because of the Essenson connection. Um, Cody Cop, you mm-hmm. know, these young men they, they give up a lot to do what they're doing, and you know, it's very. It's, it takes a lot of commitment to be the best, and I really enjoy watching these young men um, try to, to, to learn and to be good at their craft. And, and so, um, you know, that's the part of it today that I really enjoy. I, I like watching this young talent. Of course, I love watching, you know, Jared Mays and 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 the Bauman brothers and 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 Shana and all of these guys that that are running so hard and and they give everything for the sport and people that maybe haven't been around it or just been around it fringe they don't realize what a commitment it is to be that good and so my hats are off to them because it just takes a lot of commitment and discipline to be able to do it. I, I totally agree 100%. I kind of have a follow-up to that. So what would you say to someone who was involved like you were and seeing the sport now on the rise, and if they're thinking to get back into it, I mean, what would you say to that person? Personally, I'm a huge fan of what Jim France, uh, what American Flat Track, what Michael Locke, what all these guys are doing today, I know there's a lot of conjecture, perhaps about, you know, how the how the Super Twins has kind of gone. But you know, we're on NBCSN, we're uh, you know we're on Fans Choice. Uh, we're we've got all of these avenues now that people are able to see our sport. And we're reaching people that we never dreamed. You know, I've had people around the dealerships come to me and say, I was watching motorcycle races last night. Is that what you used to do? Mm-hmm. Because people don't really even know I still ride, Scotty. I, I, I don't make <laughs> a big deal of it. And they, they don't. And so I say, yeah, that's what I used to do. And they say, well, you were crazy. <laughs> I mean, we're, 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 we're reaching people today that we never dreamed of doing prior um you know back in my day we didn't we didn't have any television um and and you know we had cycle news we had different avenues like that but 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 it 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 was a different time um i think it's an exciting time to be a part of it the score the the sport's growing you can't dispute that there's more manufacturers involved in it today than maybe ever um even in my heyday, you know, we didn't have as many manufacturers in it as what we do right now. And I'm ta- I'm, uh, this is a blanket statement, okay? I, I know uh-huh. today we don't have as many maybe in the, in the – or 
as many as what's running in the singles class. But it's it's exciting, and and uh, you know we're very blessed that Jim France continues to spend his monies in our sport to try to make something happen. You know, obviously Jim is trying to make this more than what it's been. And I think that that is noble. I think it's fantastic for people like myself that, that, that are fans of the sport. And, and, you know, you've got the other stakeholders involved too that are spending their monies to, to support this. And, and, uh, I, you know, I don't think there's been a more exciting time, but, um, you know, this COVID thing has completely messed everything up this year. Uh, I think they had a very neat schedule lined up, and I was very excited for that. But for us to even be racing today, I think, is remarkable. And um, I can't even imagine the amount of monies that are being lost by giving the competitors and the stakeholders and everyone else involved the opportunity to go to a racetrack today with you know the limited attendance and everything else that's going on um i mean you know there's no way to make that dog hunt but um but they're making the investment to do it and anyone that doesn't note that and appreciate it um i think you need to go find another sport to to admire (laughs) because it's uh it's crazy it really is Absolutely. Very well said. I mean, you know, these promoters, you know, a lot of them are AFT races, but you know, the, like the Springfields, they're sticking their neck out there just to have a race, just so we can have another mile on track. And I, I, I admire what they're doing. I'm glad we're getting some racing in It maybe just 16 rounds this year, but it's 16 rounds more than maybe some of the other series or other sports are going to do. So I, I, I'm glad we're racing. I can't get, you know, I can't wait to get to the rest of these races. So uh, to wrap up the episode, we have our rapid fire questions. So I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these next few questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite bike you've ever ridden? XR750. Perfect. What's your favorite racetrack? Indy Mile. Okay. Who's the best flat tracker all time? Best flat tracker of all time. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one. Oh, man. Um, Scotty Parker. All right. All right. So this one's a little bit different. So I'm just talking about the Super Twins class only. Who's going to win the Springfield Mile on Saturday and on Sunday? I believe that Jared Meese is going to win on Saturday. Okay. And I believe that uh, I'll give one to Briar. I'll give Briar one on Sunday. Obviously, okay. those guys are on fire. And they are um, both on it. Yeah. Uh, I like I that. Have a, I have a. I am too, and I have a lot of faith in Kenny Tolbert that he's going to get. Uh, He's going to get things um, squared away, and so I think you're going to see a tremendous dogfight at Springfield, and I'm very excited to see it. I am too. I can't wait. Um, favorite type of competition for you, racing or business? <sighs> business. All right. 
I like it. I was I was excited to hear that answer for sure. Um, who's your favorite person to go bench racing with? Well, I don't do much bench racing. Um, I, I really don't. Uh, Ronnie Jones. There you go. Yeah, you can talk racing for hours and hours and hours with Ronnie Jones. You sure can. Um, what's the favorite thing you've ever heard from a race fan? That our sport um, was um, was uh, compared to car racing was um, one of the purest forms of motorsports they've ever witnessed. And I grew up around auto racing. Southern Indiana is obviously synonymous for for really, really good race car drivers. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was the guy that went down a different path, and I didn't follow that, even though I had a couple of race car rides offered to me. Scotty, if I told you what they were, you'd have said I was nuts <laughs> for continuing <laughs> to to ride motorcycles. Uh-huh. But uh, but I had a couple that uh, that you know, looking back on it, you know, maybe that's what I should have done, or maybe I should have gone road racing. But uh, but um, um, it's you know it's it's uh, anyway. Enough said. I'll shut up. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that's the best answer to that question we've gotten. We've we've done 150 episodes. I don't think that question has been in all 150, but I think that's one of the best ones we've gotten for sure. Um, who's the next first time champion in the Super Twins class? I think we're going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, to be seen. I, um, I I think there's a lot of young talent coming up. Um, um, but you know, uh, there's there's a lot of talent still in the Super Twins class right now. Uh, again, I think you've got a lot of um, of uh, the haves and have-nots, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, it's a little bit like back in my day. Uh, there's plenty of fast Indians out there. There's plenty of fast Yamahas out there. But the upper percentile, and again, we're talking about, you know, Jared in particular and, and Briar and, and, and so forth, uh, you know, their bikes are, are, are just on a different level right now. Um, I'm very hopeful that Tim gets the Yamahas uh, going um, like I think they will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that will bring a whole nother aspect to this because uh, nothing would please me more than to see J.D. Beach and Colby Carlisle running up front. Um, I'm talking, obviously, on a, on a half mile or a mile. Uh, you know, they showed their stuff already on the TTs. But... Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that would be super cool, and I think that would be fantastic for the sport. Um, but uh, but I you know we've got some young guns coming up. Look at look at the look at the singles class right now, and um, and hopefully those cats can make the transition from being a good 450 rider to being a good twins rider. And today yep. we don't have that junior class steps you know, um, um, step, you know, we just throw them right in the deep end now. 
So um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's it will be interesting because not everybody can ride a twin. Correct. And Correct. Uh, so we'll see what we see. I like that. So my last question, we borrow from Dave Despain, but uh, so you know you've been around for quite a while. So this one, I'm 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 really curious to hear your answer on this one. But what are you most proud of? Um. By the way, uh, David Spain, uh, my name was Jackie the Jet Mitchell, just FYI. So anyway. I like it. I uh, like Jackie it. Jackie the Jet, that, that's from Spain, okay? So anyway, I'm using that this what weekend, What am I most buddy. proud of? I think yeah. I'm most proud of um, I am a person that um, – I enjoy giving. I don't enjoy receiving. I, uh, I really like to be able to give back. I'm very appreciative of everything that has been given to me. Um, you know, my father was very clear to me that the world didn't owe me anything, so I've always remembered that. But I enjoy being able to help others. Um, It is important to me as a person to be able to give back. Um, I try very hard to do that in my business with with our dealerships, being a good community uh, partner. I, I, you know, obviously I'm trying to do that somewhat with uh, what we do with the charity, although I'm just a fart in a whirlwind, as they say, when it comes to that. But um, I... (laughs) I, um, uh, you know, it's important to me, Scotty, to be a good person. And that's obviously um, uh, very subjective. And everyone has their own opinion. But I want to kind of live my life and treat people how I want to be treated. And I think that uh, for the most part, I think if I was on fire, most people would throw a bucket of water on me. So, um, you know, I mean, I get up every day to try to be a good person. Um, I think I was raised right. I know my mother raised me to to be a good person. And I think whatever is good in me is because of her. And so, um, you know, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but um, that's a little difficult. But uh, it's just important to me to um, – because I think that's all a person's got. You know, when you're gone, um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much money you had. It doesn't matter what you acquired. I think what it really matters is were you a good person and were people enriched by your presence? Yeah, And if they were, then you won. There you go. I love it. So I I, I just – got to tell you i had really high expectations for this this podcast this episode and each and every one of them were way exceeded i loved getting to know you um and your story it's 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 very it's awesome to hear um before i let you go i know you said thanks to a lot of people you know tim essenson carl patrick and and the people who helped you but is there anybody else that you might want to say thank you to before we let you go Gosh, I mean, the list is how long do we have? I mean, honestly, <laughs> um, it's, it's, there's been so many people. I've been so blessed that people have taken the time to either teach me something or to maybe crack a door for me that, you know, it was up to me to get through that door. 
um, you know, I'm I'm so thankful. Uh, one that that you thought enough of me uh, that uh, that you called me to do this. Uh, that's quite an honor in itself. Um, and you know, I mean, there's just so many people that uh, that I need to thank. I mean, my 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 father-in-law Rick Acre, my wife, you know, Rebecca, my daughter Elizabeth, um, you know, my family and friends. Um, I'm a very blessed guy because I have so many good friends that um, I really think would uh, would do anything in the world for me if I needed it. You know, I kind of think my circle of friends is a dot, but in reality, it's a really big dot. And um, and so I'm just very blessed that uh, that the majority of my good friends uh, revolve around dirt track. And uh, the guys that maybe I haven't seen for 20 years we can get together and it's like, uh, like we hadn't been apart. And, um, and you know, I mean, I, and I've got some brothers, I mean, Lance Jones, Ronnie Jones, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Charlie Roberts. I mean, uh, where do we stop? And, and, uh, and I've got plenty of heroes. I've got, I've got plenty of heroes that, that, uh, that I look up to today and, and, uh, role models and, and, you know, I'm 61 years old now, but I still think I'm a kid. <laughs> and so I still I still look up to people and and have role models and and there's so many things that I've come up short and or I want to you know be able to to do before uh, my time is done and and um, if I can continue to to give back in some way um, with flat track I would like to be able to do that and and uh, you know. Would I like to be a team owner or do something like that one day? I think I really would. Um, I, I'd like to be able to to give back to the sport and to maybe give some young talent an opportunity to do what I was able to do, which I know is so difficult to be able to get into the game and once you're in it, to stay in it. It's It's just a tough gig. And if I could do that, that would be really cool. Jackie the Jet, thanks for coming on. I loved every second of this uh, episode. Scotty, thank you, brother. I mean, you do so much for the sport. Uh, I mean that wholeheartedly. You know I tell you that every time I see you. And uh, you're just a good man. And frankly, if anybody tells you that, that's a win in itself. You know, just being a good person is, uh, is, I think, really all a person can be. And you're one of the good ones, my friend. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. All right, we love you. See ya. Bye. I'll tell you what, man. I didn't know anything about that guy when we started, other than the fact that he helps with the uh, class of 79. One hell of a dude and one hell of an episode, man. You know, I, I found it really interesting to, to how he got involved. He kind of got himself into motorcycles from going to the drag strip with his dad. He he made things happen. He decided he wanted to go racing. And then, you know, it was awesome that he had the passion for the sport. And he left because he knew that he didn't he wasn't competitive enough to make it to the Grand National Champion level and so he just found it it was time to walk away and it, it's a whole different perspective that I, I guess I've never thought about it because I left for a different reason you know so you never know when you're gonna leave the sport as a professional racer or why but I get where he's coming from where he didn't want to watch the races either because when I quit I didn't want to. I didn't want to see the races either for a little while, but obviously for different reasons. But um, I loved hearing his story. I and man, what a great guy! 
Absolutely, dude. It's awesome how, you know, to hear his story. And what a great representative of the, of the sport, really. I mean, all around, right? Every aspect of from the charitable aspects to, you know, just the way he talks about uh, the state of the sport today. Um, you need more people like that promoting what we do instead of trying to break it down. And it's really cool. I mean, you feel that. At, at, for me, it's cool to kind of, having not known anything about him, kind of get a little little backstory on, on Jackie Mitchell and kind of perspective of who he is as a person, which stand-up dude for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was sincere with his answers. He was honest, and I loved every bit of it. And uh, another great episode. All right, dude. Well, I'm I'm finishing up packing here for Redbud. You're packing for Springfield. Um, I may see you here in a couple days. Sounds good. Four days of racing for me, and uh, we'll be flying back home on Monday, and we'll have to record on Tuesday or Wednesday because <laughs> we head off to the next race already. So Man, it's it's getting ready to get crazy. Uh, we've been saying that for a while, but we did absolutely nothing for three months so i guess we should be ready for this yeah i've been non-stop since you know loretta won so um yeah man i'm ready to get back out there red bud's always a good one to go to from the from the motocross perspective you know uh, if i can take in a red bud and a springfield on a labor day weekend how about that son that that would be awesome <laughs> i would love to go up to red bud i i uh man i've been to one outdoor national scotty parker actually took me uh, I was married that, at that time, and, and he took me and my wife uh, to the track. We we went everywhere we wanted because Scotty Parker is Scotty Parker, and he's you know he's treated as a god in the motorcycle world. And so it was so cool. My favorite part was walking up to Larocco's Leap, and this is back in the day when they're on 250s and one, and 125s, and watching those guys on the 125s just try to just send it up that Larocco's <sighs> Leap. It was only a couple of them could do it. But the, the 250s were just hauling the mail, and it was so much fun. Dude, like, even last week at Ironman, like, the perspective of standing at the foot of those jumps and looking at the size, the size of those things, TV will never, ever do it justice. It's it's it's, it's insane. It's You're looking up at a four-story building, and those guys are going straight up that thing. And, 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 and you hit... You, you hit it wide open. You can't see where you're going to land. No. That's what's, that's what's inc- incredible. And I, I love motocross. I broke a lot of bones <laughs> racing motocross. My dad never understood why I loved it. But just hitting that jump wide open, it's, it's an incredible feeling. But to your point, uh, you can't see how fast we're going in flat track, especially at Springfield, yes. until you go. Yeah. You know, if you've never been to Springfield, Illinois, uh, you got to go check out that racetrack. Uh, walk through the front gate walk right past those stairs go right up to the track and watch those bikes go by you at 130 135 whatever it is it's it i got goosebumps hair on my arm stand up yeah i mean just the goosebumps right now like you're usually the one to say that but i mean i have i've walked i've literally gone back to springfield the day after when it's dead quiet just to stand there in the grandstands and like there's so much history but like the you feel it it's it's amazing yeah uh Hopefully, I get, there's still some tickets left, and I can get one from the, from the Kisos um, and uh, see some see some folks out there this weekend in Springfield, man. Sounds good. Well, thanks to all the listeners. Smash that like button. Tell all your friends about the podcast. Hit me up for a koozie if you see me. I know they're going to try to keep me social distance from people uh, most of the weekend, but uh, if you see me walking through the pits, I'll have some koozies in my backpack. If you want off the group koozie, just $5, uh, and we definitely appreciate it. And, uh, Carter, we'll see you up there. Everybody else, we'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Peace.
There you go. Done. All right. Awesome. I don't want to get into any of the details because I don't want to say any of them wrong, but a new title sponsor for the series. It's a multi-year deal, Progressive Insurance. It's not going to be called the Progressive AFT, Progressive American Flat Track. Yeah. That's weird. Um, That's super weird. We'll just – so we're, yeah. we're 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 recording this earlier in the week, um, but you know, there's there's news and rumors. So we can. Do you want to hint? You don't want to say that. I Let's just act like it happened. Because if it yeah, uh, big news this week, dude. Um, and I say big news a lot, but like this is huge, 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 huge. Capital H, dude. Huge. Capital H U. Huge. Um. Huge. Um. Big deal. Big deal. Title sponsor. A title sponsor for American Flat Track, Progressive Insurance. So it's going to be the Progressive Progressive American Flat Track. There's more more little stuff that's going to come out that we'll probably talk talk about a little bit more detail next week. There's a couple of a Progressive Triple Crown I want to bring up, but I I, I don't want to get into that though. So maybe I shouldn't say anything. But uh, talks of, you say just, t- talks of a Triple Crown. Just say talks of a Triple Crown for Springfield Mile being the opening two rounds of that. Um, the Progressive Super Pole, whoever's the, the sitting on the pole for the Super Twins main event will get some extra money. There's so much more to talk about. We'll get more details as it starts coming out. But huge news, Progressive American Flat Track. Yeah, and one thing a lot of people probably don't realize with the title sponsor, it's not just you know those little things where people might have opportunities to get more money. It's not just it usually means you know there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that isn't talked about that that those things you know that that that's that that usually helps with uh and just kind of legitimizes a sport so um big deal big deal this week and it's be cool to see how that unfolds